Good morning, Riverbend. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Austin Roberts. I'm the student pastor here. Uh, I'm excited to get to speak with you this morning. If you do know me, you know what you're in for, um, but we're going to make it. If you have your copy of God's Word, please turn with me to Revelation chapter 2, um, and we'll start heading that way. I appreciate that you didn't jump out of your seats and run for the door when in one breath I said that I was a student pastor and the next breath said we'd be in Revelation. Uh, it's two quick strikes, but it'll be okay. We'll hang through um, as you're turning there, uh, I kind of want to set the stage for some things that have been rolling around in my mind. Um, as many of you know, I'm newly married. Uh, we've been married for about a month, and I've learned that Riverbend Church is very forthcoming with both wisdom and warning when you're about to get married, which is kind of a scary thing. Uh, y'all did not hold back on that. Uh, Austin, you have to share the most important parts of your life with her. You're going to be um, spending all your time with her, get used to it. And what I took that to mean was, Austin, you need to binge watch all of your favorite Netflix shows with your new wife so that she gets all your corny jokes that you say in public. Um, and one of those shows that we have been watching, and it's my favorite, I won't tell you the name of it because you'll totally judge me, um, there's the main character, and he kind of lives a life of crime, and he lives in this grungy society, and like all seven seasons, he's living this life of crime, but he has this letter from his father, his late father. His father had died in a motorcycle crash years ago, but he had given him this letter and said, this is what I want for your life, right? This is all my work leading up to you coming into the world. This is what I wanted for you. And so all, through all seven seasons, he's battling between what he's doing and how he judged success for him, you know, crime, making money, and what his father had won for him. And that's a lot like what we're going to read in Revelation chapter 2 this morning. And so I want us to look at this letter to the church of Ephesus in the same way as Christ speaking through John, penning a letter to the church. And I want us to look at the good things and the bad things and see what we can glean from it. So if you have your copy of God's Word, open it up in an app. It'll be on the screen next to me if you don't have it. But Revelation chapter 2 says, To the angel of the church at Ephesus writes, the words of him who hold the seven stars in his right hand and who walks amongst the seven lampstands. Uh, it's apocalyptic writing. Basically, it means Jesus. Jesus, had me write this to you. Right? This is, these are the words of Christ to you. I know your works and your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and have found them to be false. I know that you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have grown weary. Verse 4. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. If you do not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you have the work, or I'm sorry, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's read. Or let's pray over the reading of His Word. Father God, I thank you for your uh, for your Word um, through John to the church at Ephesus. Father, I pray that we would take those things to heart. Um, that we would be able to look closely at who we are as a body, at who we are at Riverbend Church and who we are um, on an individual level and be able to apply the things that you had to tell us here. We love you and praise you. Amen. So before we go into this, uh, we need a little history on the church at Ephesus. Now, several months ago, Brian um, preached uh, a sermon series on the seven churches uh, that were written to you in Revelation. You remember the church of Ephesus was the first. And what's cool about the church of Ephesus is that we know the most about it as a New Testament church. It's well documented all through the New Testament. So we'll spend some time this morning in Acts, Acts 18, 19, and even in 20. It talks about uh, the church at Ephesus being birthed and, and kind 
kind of hitting the ground running, kind of hitting the ground hard. Um, we see it mentioned in First and Second Timothy because Paul was writing to Timothy while Timothy was the pastor at the church of Ephesus. We see it come back up in First, Second, Third John because John was an elder at the church at Ephesus when he's writing to them. Um, come to think of it, we're looking for staff members. We should probably take a look at the church of Ephesus because they had it going on. When people are writing books of the Bible and they're at the church, it's a good sign. They had a long history um, of good leadership. And so when he's writing this letter to them in Revelation, it's about 60 years after they had started uh, what we'll see in Acts in a minute. So going into that, the way that he, the way that he spells this out is, he kind of sandwiches it. He gives them compliments. Here are some things that you're doing well, church at Ephesus, right? Here are some things you're not doing so well and I need to warn you about. And here are some other things you're doing well. A lot of times when we look at this letter, we're really drawn to verse 4 and 5 because they're kind of daunting and they're kind of scary, right? I'll take your lampstand. I'll remove my hand of blessing from your church. That's kind of terrifying. But I also want us to look at what he says they're doing well because if things make Christ happy, we want to be about that as a church too. So we're going to take a look at that first. In verses 2 and 3, it says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you're enduring patiently. We see that again. He just flipped it. And bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. What does he mean when he says enduring patiently? You have patiently endured. This is a good thing, but it seems kind of cryptic, right? What does it mean? Well, for, for the Ephesus, uh, for the church at Ephesus, you have to think about their culture. You have to think about the things around them. Uh, the church at Ephesus, uh, the city of Ephesus, rather, was a, it was a crazy place. It was kind of a, it was kind of a um, harbor city for felons and criminals because Ephesus was total anarchy, right? And so these people, they would go and commit crimes, and they would do all these crazy things and then kind of retreat back to Ephesus because they were safe there. And so we see that the culture they were in, not unlike our own, was consumed with a worldly view. They were consumed with sin and all these all these. Um, ways to gain money, these ways to gain fame were kind of through sin. Uh, the, the temple itself, if you look at Ephesus, um, the temple to Diana, you know, it, she was the goddess of fertility. And so the way that they would um, kind of worship her, you would see prostitutes in the temple and things like that. It was a sinful, sinful city. And so what he says here is, you're patiently enduring. I see that you're enduring patiently, and I like that in you, Ephesus. And basically what he's saying is, you are positive of victory. You've had good leadership. You came from Paul. You came from Timothy. You came from John. You know people who spent close time with Christ Jesus, and you know my word, and you know my doctrine, and you know that victory is certain. Again, this is 60 years later after the church had started. He says you were still enduring. You were still, you're fighting the good fight. I see that you are still so focused on the fact that I, Jesus Christ, have already won the day and, you, and you're patient in that, and you sit with that. And, and, and like Chris said before he got down, you, you never forget that I have already, I'm already victorious, and you live in that, and that's part of your life. And that's a good, good thing. That's, that's a good thing that we can take from the church of Ephesus is we never need to forget Christ has already won. He's already won the battle, and he says, Ephesus, I really like that about you. I know your works and your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. Uh, we know this about the church at Ephesus, uh, probably because they came from Paul and Timothy and John and all those guys, uh, Apollos, Priscilla, Aquila. They had really good doctrine. 
They were founded on the gospel, and they were sticking to that. So much so that false teachers would come to the land, and they would, kind of, they would kind of take some things and leave some things out of the gospel. And Ephesus was really good about saying, not happening here. This, that's, that's not taking place in our church. We are not about that. Later in verse 6, when he talks about the Nicolaitans, that seems a little harsh coming from Christ. Yet this I have, or I'm sorry, yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. That kind of sounds bad coming from him. But what he's saying is the church at Nicolaitia, what they had done is basically they saw what was going on in the temple of Diana. They, they saw the way they got to worship, and they said, prostitutes in church, that's not that bad. Sounds good. Let's, let's just kind of incorporate that, right? And so basically they said we want to worship Jesus Christ, but we really like the way that everybody else gets to worship, and we want to be a part of that. And the church at Ephesus says, no, it's not a part of the Scripture. It's not a part of the Gospel. We're not a part of that. God's not a part of that. We're not having it. And basically he says, that's good, Ephesus. You're not conforming to the culture. You are, you are strict with the Gospel. You know what it says, and you stick to that. And so the two things that we see in Ephesus going into the warning that we need to pay attention to and really take to heart is they're sure of victory. They're, they're enduring patiently and they're waiting for Christ to return and they're excited about it. And it's so much so that it's a daily part of their life. And they're not conforming to the world because of that. They're sure of his victory and they're, they've got their eyes set on the prize and they're not becoming part of the world because of it. So we'll get to the exciting part now. <laughs> Verses 4 and 5. He says, but I have this against you. You're doing all these other things really well. But I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works that you did at first. So this is, a, this is kind of a scary thing, and it's why we tend to gravitate there, right? It's a scary thing because basically what he's saying to the church at Ephesus is, you can focus on the gospel, and you can stick to the gospel, and you can preach the gospel and not waver from it. You can be surrounded by a world that is consumed with sin and you not be a part of it. You can do those things really well and you can still miss out. You can, you can do all the things that you want really well and, and feel like you're hitting all of your goals as a church and still miss out on my blessing and still miss out of my hand of blessing on the church. He says... Remember from where you have fallen. Uh, do the things that you did at first. And you're like, okay, well, what was going on at the church of Ephesus at first? Basically, uh, we're, we're going to run on to church, or I'm sorry, to Acts 18, um, or I'm sorry, 19, when the church of Ephesus was starting. But it was kind of a, it was a crazy deal, right? It's some things that would make our Southern Baptist heads blow up, right? Paul's like touching handkerchiefs and they're healing people. You know, he's touching aprons and people are getting healed by touching the aprons. And you're like, what's going on, right? It's, it's crazy stuff. He kind of ran into town with his group of compadres and they're just saving people left and right because they're doing signs and wonders and miracles and, and they don't really know what to do with them. And so uh, we won't read it all just because it's kind of long, but in Acts 19, uh, if you're looking at your, uh, it starts in verse 11, it talks about the seven sons of Sceva. And I love this story. Brian and I were talking about it before, uh, before the sermon this morning, before we started this morning. But the seven sons of Sceva saw what Paul was doing, right? They saw that he was healing people by throwing handkerchiefs or whatever. And, and all these crazy things are happening. And they see this and they're like, we can, we can, we can get in on that. So they hunt down a possessed man, which apparently is easier to do than you would think. Um, they find this possessed man, and <laughs> he's, he's there, and the seven sons of Sceva are like, hey, in the name of Paul's God, come out of this man. And he replies to them. The, the demon replies to them from within this man, and he says, Jesus we know. 
You know, Jesus we know on a first-name basis. We've, we figured him out. We know what's going on there. Paul we've heard of. We got the company email. They told us to stay away from Paul. It's either round, right? But we haven't heard of you. We don't know who you are. And they, this man proceeds to beat up the seven sons of Sceva, bloody and naked. And he sends them running out bloody and naked. Students, if I got beat up at Kroger parking lot and I left bloody and naked, you wouldn't need to check Snapchat to know about it. You wouldn't have to look on Twitter. It would be on the news. If I get beat up bloody and naked, you would know about it. And that's exactly what happened. And it lit. It's it's crazy. It kind of lit a fire under Ephesus. And they could see the difference between what God was doing in Paul and what all these other things were about. And if we pick up in Acts Acts chapter 19, verse 17, it says, And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, that the seven sons of Sceva got the pants beat off of them. Right? both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord was extolled. Also, many of those who were believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, their sin. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them, and they found that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Um, So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail. And so you look at the church at Ephesus here, in Acts 19, 60 years prior, and they, it's just crazy. It's like the Wild West of the gospel, and there's some it's just crazy stuff going on. And then you look at them 60 years later, and they've got really good doctrine. They're not putting up with false teachers, but he says, you're doing these things well, but you've lost something. So for just a minute this morning, I would really like to take a look at the difference in those passages, because I think if there is something in Acts 19 that the Ephesus is missing out on later then we want to know about that. We want to know what brings delight to Christ. And so the first thing that we see here is, in verse 17, And it became known to all the residents in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord was extolled. What does extolled mean? What does extolled mean? Extolled means um, to exalt to praise, to lift up on the highest, right? It came known all to them, the power of the Lord, and they extolled his name. They spoke his name as they were, as they were walking through the streets. It was so a part of life that they were extolling him constantly through their lifestyles. And, and witches and warlocks and Gandalfs were coming up and throwing down their magic books because they could see what was going on in their life. Their lives extolled Christ. And you don't see that in Revelation. It says you've got really good doctrine and you know what the gospel's about. But he doesn't mention, and you have to think that he would mention if he was commending them, that their lives still extolled. Their lives exalted him on high. And so that's the first thing. We see that their lives exalted him, that they extolled him. The next thing is this. Uh, And a number of them who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. You kind of get this feeling about Ephesus, if you read here and also if you read in Timothy, that Ephesus, they were a little um, grungy, maybe. You, You get this feeling about Ephesus that if you look at the city of Ephesus and you look at the church of Ephesus, they look a lot the same. Why is that? Because they're extolling Christ Jesus. Because they're spending time in the city and they're singing his praises and letting them know what he's about. And they want part of that. They they want a part of what's going on in the church of Ephesus. And so when you look at the church, you've got people coming down up front 
I guess by the altar. I don't know. And they're throwing down their magic books and lighting them on fire. And they're like, come on, Jesus, right? That would freak us out, right? That's not something that we're, we're down with. That's a little too uh, charismatic for us. But this is what's happening. They're grungy. They look a little bit like the world. And he's saying, Ephesus, you're, you're, good at, you're good at looking at the doctrine and knowing what that's about. You're really good at that. You're not putting up with false teachers. You're not like the Nicolaitans and conforming to the world. But you're also not extolling my name like you used to. You're not singing it out. Your, your life is not reflecting it the way that it once did in the city. And, and, these cra- and because of that, these crazy acts that are, that are happening because of it, people becoming saved, people becoming healed because of these miracles, it's also not happening. And the last thing there is, in verse 20, so the word of the Lord can need you to increase and prevail mightily. So they're coming. They're coming and being saved. They're, they're coming and being saved, these witches and people that are doing these magic arts. And, and they're becoming a part of this body. And, and Ephesus looks a lot like the place where they live. And the church is kind of mirroring where they are. And these people are coming from the city and becoming a part of the church. And they're knowing the Lord and they're throwing out their magic books. And then they don't stay where they are, right? The gospel prevails. It keeps going. It keeps moving. These people are growing, and they're going and getting more once those have matured, and that's happening. And he's saying, Ephesus, you've lost these things. You've lost your first love. You've lost the love for extolling me. You've lost the love for going and getting these people and bringing them in and showing them who I am and saving them from a sinful lifestyle. And I think that's, that's worth asking this morning is, is there something that we have lost along the way? Is there some sort of love that we have lost along the way that we used to be better about or something that we thought that Christ called us to that we're not doing anymore? Not just on Riverbend level, but on an individual level as well. And so we see these things. Uh, we, after that, if your Bible is like mine, the very next thing after verse 20, it says, a riot at Ephesus. And you're like, okay, well, this is, you really need to go read Acts 19 because the reason there was a riot at Ephesus was because so many people were being pulled out of this witchcraft. So many people were being pulled out of prostitution. So many people were being pulled out of the worship of these other things that all the sinful gain that was happening in that city, all, all the people that were ushering folks into these other temples, all the people that were uh, reading palms and all those things, they couldn't get work. They, they had no place in the city. So many people were coming to the church at Ephesus. They were being introduced to Christ Jesus, and they were extolling how great he was themselves that these people with sinful gain couldn't find work in the city. It had no place there anymore. How awesome is that? How great would that be if we could say that of Hernando or Senatobia or DeSoto County or Tate County, that these things that people used to be a part of have no place here anymore. And they're so mad that they have to riot the streets because they can't make money and live. How great would that be? This is good stuff. This is good stuff. And so we go on. Uh, We go back to Revelation chapter 2. We'll look at that. He says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus, I write these things. I know your works. I know you're enduring patiently. I know of your patient endurance. I know that you're not putting up with these false teachers. I know you're not conforming to the world like the Nicolaitans. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned your first love. Remember, therefore, what you, where you have fallen and repent. Do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you 
and remove your lampstand from its place. Like I said before, that's a scary thing because what he's essentially saying here, the lampstand is the church, and he's saying that I'll remove my blessing from what you're doing, right? You're good at being gospel-centered. You're really good at casting out false prophets. You're not conforming to the world around you. You don't look like them. But you're not singing my praises. You're not extolling my name. You're not, you're not going and pulling people out of the life they're in and pushing them this way. And because of those things, what you're doing isn't enough. You forgot your first love. And I will pull my hand of blessing off of your church if you don't remember what it was. And so I've been reading this passage, and, and as we've been preparing for going into this new school year with the students, and we've been doing a series called Vitals, and I'm so excited about that because we're getting uh, the K-group leaders and I are talking about what's important. We want to talk about community this semester. We feel like that's what we need to do, and that's where we need to be pushing. But while, we're, while I'm preparing for this sermon, I'm thinking, we do so many things like that. We do so many things like K-Group. We do so many things like Connect Group. We do so many things like City Kids and A-Fair and Feed the Teachers and all these things, and that's awesome. But if those things come before our first love, then they are not blessed by the hand of God. And we cannot forget that. We can't forget that. As we're preparing for connect groups and launching that next week, and as we're preparing to do refuge again with the students this Wednesday, and we're going to go into K groups and do our best to pour in their lives, I felt like God was telling me all week, you're preparing all of this, Austin, but if it's not blessed by my hand, if you are not focused on your first love, it has no place here. And we cannot forget that. How beautiful would it be if... 60 years down the road, or we're 10 years old, 50 years down the road, we're coming up, and we've been that for Hernando, and Satan min- Satan's minions know our name like they knew Paul. When the seven sons of Sceva came up and he said, Jesus, we know. Paul, we've heard of. We got that email, right? We know what he's about, but we don't know who you are. If we're so in tune with our first love, if we're so in tune with where, what he has called us to do, how cool would it be that they know who we are. That when our students walk in some of our schools, whether it's Hernando, whether it's Lake Cormorant, whether it's Cenotopia, whether it's Lewisburg, or all the other eight or nine of them, they knew who you guys were. Satan's minions knew who you were when you walked in the door at 7 in the morning, right? How awesome is that? I've been praying that for you all week. How cool would that be if when you walked into work, he knew who you were because you came in charged up with your first love and you know what he's called you to and you're extolling his name. So much that the people at the desk next to you know this dude's going to be singing about Jesus when he comes in here this morning, you know? But they know that that's what you're about. Do we look like Hernando? Do we look like Cenotopia? Or are we the same people in this room that we were a year ago? It's not easy, but it's a real thing. And he says, Ephesus, I like this. I like this about you, and you need to work on this. And we as a church have to look at it and say, if, he, if God finds joy in this, then we need to find joy in this. And if God despises this, then we need to despise this and, and work our way back. And so this morning, um, I know it's, it's, it's a brief message, but I, I want to leave plenty of time for this. As we're ending and the worship team is coming up, I don't necessarily just want you to come up here um, and pray, but I want you to think about 
the people that are next to you at work and the people that are next to you in class and think about if you're going into the week extolling Christ because that's what he's called us to do. He says that he is to be our first love and if he's not our first love, there's something wrong. And it's a short passage, but it gets to the point. If you're not extolling his name, then there's something wrong. Are, are the people that you see each week, do you know their names? Do they know what you're about? Are you bringing them in? Are you pushing them out because maybe they're not dressed the way that you would want them to when they walk in church? Or maybe they would uh, smoke a cigarette before they came in here. We need to look like the people we're around. He says that his word will prevail, and he says that they will mature. But the good thing about that is we get to go grab more folks after that. right? And so this morning, I, as we're singing our last song, and as we're going on into the week, I want you to think about those people and think about where your first love is. And I want you to think about what that has called you to do, what he's called you to do for that. So Father God, I thank you for this time. Uh, I thank you for this passage. Um, in Revelation, it's short, Father, but it, it punches. Um, Lord God, I pray that we would be people of your word, that we would focus um, on what you would want us to do, what you called us to do, and not get so caught up in programs. And we wouldn't so get caught up um, in what we think church is about, Lord, but that we would focus on what you call a great church and what you would want for us going into this new year. Lord God, uh, your standards for success and your standards for us being a great church are much better than anything that we could come up with. I pray that we would know that. I pray that we would cast vision based solely on what you would have for us and what our first love should be.